Namaste. So, uh, as part of a what seems to have become a tri-series, yesterday we uh, shared some views about Shubindu's action on the past. And if I were to put it paradoxically, Shubindu released the past from the present and he released the present from the past. And he launched both into the future. Now, let me just, you know, <laughs> put it... Uh, explain that part. So when I say release the past from the present, what I mean is that we look at the past with the lens of the present. And that's a grave error because humanity has moved along several lines, uh, some forward, some backward, some circular. That's how evolution proceeds. And when we try to look at the past from the lens of the present, we do grave mistakes. And yesterday, that's what I was saying, that when people try to look at India from a kind of modern lens borrowed from the West, we make uh, serious mistakes. And one of the examples I spoke about was Chaturvarna. In Indian uh, thought, rebirth uh, implies evolution through life. So it's an inbuilt process. Whereas if you look at from uh, the Western lens, there is no concept of rebirth. So the whole uh, approach is that all is one, you know, at the same time it is one. Whereas Indian thought understood that there is oneness behind and there is multiplicity and variety and differentiation of manifestation. So these are some of the things he released the past from the present. Same thing we see in the Vedas that, you know, um, with the modern lens, humanity has changed. This is the more... This is an age which is more intellectual. In fact, intellectual age had started from the Upanishads. And then the Brahmanas. Brahmanas tried to revive the Karmkand. Then came the Puranas, more mythological. And uh, the format was very different, symbolical. And then we see that in the age of matter, Kali Yuga, you know, they stress on understanding everything from a materialistic uh, viewpoint. Now, if we start looking at the Vedas from this standpoint, we are going to be completely mistaken. So, he released the past from the present. What about the present? Equally release the present from the past. By that I mean that over a period of time, many layers of understanding, non-understandings, misunderstanding and deliberate distortions had come up which had completely clouded the present. So even when people in the present were trying to pick up the threads of the past, um, for, for instance, you know, they couldn't differentiate between the eternal and the temporal aspects of uh, a great teaching. So, as the mother said, you know, while it's okay that, you know, you do a homa uh, in a yajna, but the Gita itself had told us that it is the inner yajna which is required. Now, while it is okay if people want to do it, it's perfectly fine, nothing wrong with it. But we must understand that times have changed and um, the gods who were in the temples have come and they are ready to awaken in our human heart, in our body, our brain, in the nerves, in the blood vessels, the gods are ready to flow. They are not uh, happy only in the temple. <laughs> that was a temporary house we had constructed for them. But the real house is always the human body. And that's how we see that Sri immediately gives us a deeper understanding of the gods. They are realities, incidentally. When I say this, he's not saying that the gods are symbolical. The gods are an inevitable uh, aspect of creation. The moment you want to say that there is the creator and this creation, you have to bring in the gods. Who are the gods? They are the cosmic managers. So each aspect of the divine becomes a god, a god if you want to put it, who takes something of the divine and transmits it into creation. That's how this creation is maintained. So, But if we do not have the god, see this was one of the things which was happening in 
which happened in semitic religions they did away with the gods and therefore they created a big gulf between creation and the creator so when the mother and shubhendra say the age of religions is over they are not meaning that the gods are dead and gone they are not meaning that they are saying one that the age where we were too much involved in a ritualistic karm kand type of uh, uh, method that is gone also she is saying that the gods are there as cosmic manager but man himself is a god and he is a part creator he has to regain that status he has his relation with the gods is going to change he, they will not be just you know deities whom we worship but brothers and sisters with whom we participate in a new creation which uh, even the gods are looking up to so this this is how he releases the present from the past which had um, you know uh, which was like a shackle so he liberated the spirit of the past and removed the trappings of the form uh, which you know had developed over a period of time now next level of action we see of shirbindo is action in the present now that's a huge huge subject but we'll just try to touch upon some of them so how shivindu would have seen this world <laughs> i mean sometimes i just wonder there is one small poem of shivindu which can conjures it beautifully golden he came armed with the flame and looked upon the world that is greatness and light must free greatness and passion, passion must free so when he looks upon this world from what that world was we know that uh, you know the asuras had uh, won new names they were under the names of imperialism marxist communism scientific materialism so all these names they had uh, assumed and they were holding the world in the hollow of their hands literally and uh, the rudra demanded his death so when he looked upon the world india the one light of the world truly speaking Uh, that's why there is so much stress on india and if india doesn't succeed and the more we go ahead in time we can see more and more on one side there is an indian revival taking place wherein indians are beginning to recover their own spirit on the other side we see all over the world is seeking for light a darkness which seems to be falling and india alone can uh, you know give that become that lamp or the star but for that india must first recover itself and what was the state of india we see that india had fallen it had lost faith and confidence in itself it was simply towing the line which was shown to it by the west because the west had developed a superstructure of outward civilization so that civilization and culture is something very different so shirbindo in one of his letters to barin writes so beautifully that i have seen through it all and he uses the word skyscraper with a takes a dig at it he says yes uh, they are crudely called as skyscrapers but their foundation is so weak that like a mud house they are going to come down <laughs> 911 was very far away <laughs> so this is how he was looking at the world at that point of time that how uh, entire structure of civilization has been built uh, and which is hollow at its core despite the glitter and the glamour it has shut out the sun and it is going to collapse so he was seeing all this where is he saw that india is going to rise in 1909 when a tamil newspaper reporter asked him for uh, a message he says the world is going to go through uh, a turbulent period with lot of revolutions which are going to take place and among these revolutions india will become free so he had made that prediction so his first task was to awaken india because it is the yagya vedi it is the light so how was he awakening india 
This is typically Shurabindo's way of working from within outwards. So often when people ask that, you know, uh, tell me some technique and method of Shurabindo's yoga. Because we want to work from outside within. Right? So if I do this technique, if I do so many pranayamas, if I sit for dhyan for two hours on this particular thing, something will happen to me. And if you ask a typical <laughs> Shurabindo's devotee, he'll say first find the psychic being by any which way. Because <laughs> that will determine the rest. It's always from within outwards. So we see that what does Shurabindo do in India? It starts with Bhavani Bharti and closes that chapter of you know his freedom movements. Of course in a way in 1902, the Anushilan Samiti, it starts actually from there. So Shurabindo's plunge in the Indian freedom movement was at... All the three levels. It was ideative. In fact, all over. Shurinda was not just a philosopher sitting and weaving some ideas, uh, giving with a pen. Shurinda is one of the rarest of the rare who not only gave truth, but he lived that truth. He acted in the present right on the ground. This is something amazing at all the three levels. Because he knew that if he just gives a truth... There is nobody to follow it. So he became his own follower, if I want to put it like that. See, that is what is meant by the divine becoming human and taking up the uh, dread law of sacrifice. So he, it started, his action on the present started first with Hindu Prakash, the writings which were not liked by the then. Uh, there was only one party or whatever we may call it, uh, Indian National Congress. And it never understood the ethos of India because it was started by uh, a group of people who were who had sympathy with, with India, but were not natively Indian. So they never really understood what really Indian thought is about. So with all the good intentions, they couldn't understand Shurabindo's uh, thought. It was too fiery, too revolutionary, too radical. Poon Swaraj was unimaginable. So, But he sta- started lighting up what we call in Indian thought as Alak. Alak Jagana. He started lighting up the flame of sacrifice. And from 1902, he started preparing the youth how? Anushilan Samiti, which was basically Bhagajatin and all these people were involved to start doing physical exercises and <laughs> he revived the system of Akhadas, which was there. But, you know, he, he knew that, you know, you can't have a superstructure of civilization built on weak bodies and weak minds. So you have to have a strong body and strong mind as a base. And then in 1905, even before the preparation was complete, because of the bang bang, he jumped into it. And we see he invokes Bhavani Bharati. And then that whole five years, he lays down all that is necessary. But most important, he gave to India its vision. If we look through the writings of Bande Matram, and of course Karmi Yogin, uh, Dharma and Yukantar now, I don't think any of the writings are really accessible of Yukanta. That whole thing, unfortunately, has been lost. Shravinda himself said that they were very nice. Uh, they, they would have been worth bringing out, but uh, those Bangla writings are lost now. So primarily it was Dharma, Karmi Yogin and Bandi Matram. If you really look through these writings, he was laying an entire roadmap for India. And instead of all these, okay, this is okay, celebrating uh, 75 years and 150 years all this is fine but if people could take out just as a document all that he has given as a road map for India in great detail everything what needs to be done at the village level what really is meant by Swadeshi what should be our dealings with regard to the foreign affairs everywhere where China stands where Europe stands economics everything sociology everything is given a road map 
literally created a roadmap all that is required is the political will to follow it at least now there is some kind of a political will which we can see coming up but it's an entire roadmap he has given and why we should follow it is not because you know one is a devotee or disciple of shirvinder and the mother but because in india we always trusted the word of the rishi and there is no other rishi there are there are many rishis in india and there have been always saintly people but none who has given the deepest thought to the problems that vex humanity at present and given the most radical answers so that we if we see none else but shirvindu comes in that picture whom we must follow for our own good not it will make no difference to him but for our own good so that was his work with regard to the indian freedom movement and uh, we see that uh, he starts with bhavani bharti and then he invokes mother durga which is uh, kind of his last writing and with that mother durga rider on the lion he he closes that chapter and then he he doesn't close but he has already released those lines and comes into the larger world scene so this was one aspect of his action in the present where he had to sh- disentangle india from the knots of its own blinded vision and clouded by the western thought and he had to disentangle all that awaken the soul of india and show it the way to the future the second action with was with regard to the world at large so as i said if you look at the world see first world war was nothing but the grand culmination of a way of life that humanity was following if you tell people for 300 years or 400 years that this life is about survival of the fittest now it has gone as such a mantra into everybody's head that like tribals we were warring only it was just a larger tribal base and how did shurvinder look at all the that problem even now the problem of humanity as present he looked at it uh, i'll just read out some of these very beautiful powerful uh, writings just one one small piece passage we all know but how did he look at the problems of humanity at that point of time and that point of time with the divine vision is like brahma's one second is 1000 years upon earth at present how did he analyze it at present mankind is undergoing an evolutionary crisis in which is concealed the choice of its destiny i must stand corrected not how did he analyze it how did he see it there is a difference between seeing and analyzing because by no means of analysis we could have arrived at this conclusion and he says in one of his letters to barin that there are two kinds of hypnosis we must avoid one is a hypnosis when we see present achievement and we start thinking oh this is wonderful wonderful or this is horrible based on the present achievement another kind of hypnosis that comes from suggestions from the past you are a fallen people you are a fallen people you are a fallen people you are an animal you are an animal he says both these kinds of hypnosis we must uh, remove then only we can look at the heart of things so that's how he sees it's an evolutionary crisis and in this crisis there is a choice to be made for a stage has been reached in which the human mind has achieved in certain directions and enormous development while in others it stands arrested and bewildered and can no longer find its way a structure of external life has been raised up by man's ever active mind and life will a structure of an unmanageable hugeness and complexity for the service of his mental vital physical claims and urges a complex political social administrative economic cultural machinery and organized collective means for his intellectual sensational as aesthetic and material satisfaction 
man has created a system of civilization which has become too big for his limited mental capacity and understanding and his still more limited spiritual and moral capacity to utilize and manage a too dangerous servant of his blundering ego and its appetites. So this is what Shurabindu was revealing to us. So when we look at the idea forces, he was releasing a new current in, in, in the world lines and this was the idea of evolution. Among the many ideas, well, idea of evolution is there in the Puranas, idea of evolution is there in Vedanta, uh, but in, in the Puranas it's evolution of form and as well as consciousness. In the Vedanta the, and Tantra, the evolutionary idea is primarily of the soul. In Tantra there is this evolution of form, but primarily as a means to support the evolution of the soul. In um, Darwinism, there is the idea of evolution of forms, but the key is missing. Shubhindu suddenly gives that key and gives a new synthesis. And he reveals to us uh, something very beautiful, a new idea force, if I may say so, in the present, that man is a transitional being. Evolution is not yet finished. And the logic of it is that what is that power which is evolving itself through the material forms or rather manifesting and that is nothing, none else but the Divine Mother who by her holocaust has plunged into this sacrifice. So now this idea of Divine Mother's holocaust is there in the Rig Veda. But nobody has brought it out in such a beautiful way. And he reveals that evolution, it's an evolutionary impetus which is leading to this kind of crisis. So we can compare it to labor pains. Just before a child is born, there is labor pains. So what really are labor pains? Labor pains are a signal. That look, a new creation is going to come into being. So you must do everything possible, bear, endure at the same time, do everything possible, push the new creation up into the open. So this is what we see, second idea, fourth that he was releasing into the world. He Another very important task of Sri Aurobindo, which goes unnoticed, because we just read his writings on nationalism, nationalism, which are wonderful of course. But you know, before that, the whole idea of nation the way Europe had conceived was largely through masses of land. There is some talk about fatherland, but, ve- but very little of nation as a living entity. That's why you see many uh, modern neoliberal thoughts says, what is the idea of a nation? Humanity is one. And Shurabindra has something else to say about it. And he says again that, uh, you know, with regard to the nation, he says... Um, that these two ideas are not contradictory to each other. They in fact, com- you know, they complete each other. The idea of nationalism and internationalism. And if humanity prematurely enters into this thought that there is only internationalism, it will commit a grave error. Because each nation has its own unique destiny in the totality of creation. Just like, and he gives a very beautiful example. He says, Uh, when you are part of a family, you are part of a family, does it mean that you are not an individual? You are both at the same time. If you just blindly follow one particular thought in the family, let's say, you know, uh, you are only your, um, I'm sorry to say, your papa's child, the mother, mama's child and remain forever, then your child is yours. This is how we were continuing. But there is a scope and place, not only scope and place, it enriches when the child is unique and different and yet part of the family, he actually enriches it. So the same way, a child is not meant to just repeat like a clone. 
He is meant to bring something new and bring it back to the family for the family's growth. So that's how he conceived of nationalism. And I think as far as I have read the first person, I mean after Bankim Chand wrote very intuitively that, you know, when he spoke about Bandi Matram. But Shurabindu brought it to the forefront that this is not a piece of land. It is Mother India. So this idea of Mother India, which should be the basis of our union. So that's why he was, you know, he is so much more, uh, I don't know, for whatever reason now, Bandi Matram is a national song rather than the national anthem. And what was the need of such a division, whereas it should be both. Uh, because it reflects the true spirit of India. The national anthem today is still there is division of different, different. But Bande Matram creates the sense of unity. Doesn't matter where we are. Doesn't matter what our religion is. Doesn't matter what our state language is. We have but one mother. So it's a great unifying force and Shubindu wanted that to be established. So he established the Indian nation. You see, this is one of the work that each avatar comes to do. So when we look at Rama's conquest from... Um, Magadha and Ayodhya down to Lanka via Kishkindha and Dandakarani. What was Rama doing? He was bringing the entire Jambudweep under one unique way of life. And that way was not a fascist or that kind of way. It was by its nature the Aryan way of life which, which was based on Sanatan Dharma where diversity flourished. And yesterday only I had a discussion with someone and it's a beautiful thought and I thought it's, it's worth really releasing into the atmosphere that we gave a term in our constitution as secular. Now some people say yes because we couldn't have given religious. Well, there is a third term which we need to give about India and that is spiritual. Neither secular nor religious. But spirituality, it includes everything. It includes beliefs, non-beliefs, but gives a whole idea of evolution. Because if you look at the Hindi word, uh, Adhyatma, Sanskrit word. Adhyatma means the uh, progress of the soul from a lower to a greater self. Adhyatma. So, spiritual is the word which you know should be there as enshrined in the Indian, Indian constitution. One country we should proclaim that, well, our constitution is spiritual. It's neither secular nor religious. <laughs> do what you want to do with it. So these were the things which he was establishing. The country as a mother and her adoration as the basis of nationalism. Nationalism for him was not a means to just aggrandize the country for the sake of the country. But to bring out, you know, when the moment we say she's our mother, then we don't do things which, are, which will demean her, which will drag her down. Even when we criticize, we will do it out of love. That's how he brought that. And in that larger context, uh, it was again not a closed and cloistered kind of nationalism. But a nationalism which had dealings with the world. See, there is a very beautiful passage. It is from Shurbindo's, um, you know, last talk when he has to leave the National College. And it's very interesting why he had to leave the National College. He had to leave the National College because of the, because of the court case which had come up. So he was setting in his life examples which I think uh, are difficult to surpass even now. See, Shubindu was not only giving ideas. The moment he was in, implicated in the sedition trial, you see, he resigned from the National College. Why? Because until the trial is over, 
I should not be heading as the principal or a professor. Why? Because it is going to draw all kinds of forces. He knows he is not guilty. That was not the point at all. So that's what I say that, you know, uh, Rama had set such high standards of ideals, which it took a whole generation, generations and Krishna to surpass it. Sri Krishna set those high ideals of Dharma. You see, he could have easily said, well, I am with my army standing by Yudhishthir, do what you may, he is going to be the king. But Krishna takes Dharma as the basis. He won't do it. He will let the process unfold until Yudhishthir very logically and by way of Dharma he reaches the crown. Same thing with CVC in Shurabindo. Those ideals only Shurabindo could Surpass. So he resigns from the college and he has to fight the case. Now nobody is with him. So people are sympathizing. So what is that kind of standard, high standard of conduct and probity in public life that he places before us? So he is asked to give a talk. And what is the talk he gives? The only piece of advice that I can give you now, and before that there is a very touching passage. You know, he says, I know you people have gathered out of sympathy for me. But I would be much more happy if you had sympathy for the work for which I stand. He says, sympathy for me is not required. It is the cause for which I stand. And then, in the next passage, he gives an advice. The only piece of advice that I can give you now is, carry out the work, the mission for which this college was created. He says, it doesn't matter whether I am there or not. I have no doubt that all of you have realized by this time what this mission means. When we established this college and left other occupations, other chances of life, example of Shirobindo's own life, you know, how they easily could leave aside uh, what chances he is referring to, uh, you know, the salary in National College practically dwindled to nothing soon. Whereas in Baroda, a princely state, he is, uh, you know, he didn't have the official position of secretary, but he was more than a secretary. And his word, the Maharaja revered, he had all the luxury and everything and he leaves it. To devote our lives to this institution, we did so because we hoped to see in it the foundation, the nucleus of a nation of the new India, which is to begin its career after this night of sorrow and trouble. On that day of glory and greatness, when India will work for the world. So, uh, you see people often, nowadays there is talk about mothers and all that. Well, true that, you know, a kind of very perverted teaching often goes. But equally, what is happening to our own schools and colleges? We should, now at least we should bring it in the, along the lines that Shravindo spoke about, the national education. And what was that national education? It is through this that the nation will be built. So, he is, says this is a nucleus. It is a seed that has been sown. We see this turning now, which is very good. What we want here is not merely to give you a little information. New idea force in education. One of the Pirshubindu is revolutionary in many fields. Today, we are still trying to understand what Shirobindo meant when he said nothing can be taught. Today, we are still trying to understand what he meant by saying that, you know, develop the natural capacities. There are people who now are trying to understand, holding workshops, but look at it 110, 15 years back. It was a new idea force which as a vibhuti, avatar comes later. Sri Krishna says, I am the vibhuti as well as the avatar. 
as the vibhuti he was releasing new idea forces and setting his own example at the same time so he says what we want here okay so this is um, on that day of glory and greatness when india will work for the world what we want here is not merely to give you a little information not merely to open to you careers for earning a livelihood but to build up sons for the motherland to work and to suffer for her what has been insufficiently and imperfectly begun by us it is for you to complete and lead to perfection what a document he is leaving for posterity when i come back see i mean i feel <laughs> such a just imagine you know when i come back just to meditate upon these words people wanted him to come to bengal and india he said not now not now you know the reason people think oh he had taken a citizen no at one place he says because nobody is ready to hear nobody is ready to hear the only one who heard and understood shurbindo was the mother and therefore she started giving a practical shape to his dreams for the rest who cared do we still care because he keeps on saying the world is not ready it was not that shurbindo had taken to some ascetic life or something he was in pondicherry no what would he have come and told in a politics of you know the basest kind as mother says at one of the places shurbindo deeply loved his motherland and he did not want it to be dragged into the mire so that is where he says when i come back says so beautiful this is he will come back and i hope when he comes back he will see this world the way he wanted to see when i come back i wish to see some of you becoming rich look at the words choice of words rich not for yourselves but that you may enrich the mother with your riches he is not an ascetic if you become rich like bhama shah put your wealth at the worship of the mother i wish to see some of you becoming great what a different ideal from the ideal of poverty bhuke nange we should you know this give away this give away that and we should follow the ideal of taking a stick and a loin cloth and walking on the road this is not india because we followed this false ideal and the west very cunningly said yes yes this is your ideal <laughs> and after that the reporters come and click some photographs and say charas peene wale sadhu aur bhuke nange log see <laughs> should was that program on you know recently on beyond gravitas where they so in 75 years how indian turn around story which is something amazing despite all this because that's not our ideal what is our ideal if you look at mahabharata and ramayana look at dwarka dwarka dhish what a you know anmol ratna which one cannot even imagine they were taken out from the sea and who knows from where and that's how dwarka was uh, created look at arjuna gandivdhari you know when he went and stood uh, great warrior started you know trembling <laughs> should we take on him or should we not this is our ideal so he says i want to see you become great that's how he says in durga stroth that make us great maybe not desire the small the tuch the lowly i wish to see some of you becoming great great not for your own sakes not that you may satisfy your own vanity but great for her to make india great 
to enable to enable her to stand up with head erect among the nations of the earth as she did in days of yore when the world looked up to her for light even those who will remain poor and obscure i want to see their very poverty and obscurity devoted to the motherland what a i mean this advice should be circulated instead of reading today at midnight we made a tryst with destiny <laughs> look at the power in these words there are times in a nation's history when providence places before it one work one aim to which everything else however high and noble in itself has to be sacrificed such a time has now arrived for our motherland when nothing is dearer than our service when everything else is to be directed to that end if you will study study for our sake train yourselves body and mind and soul to be for our service you will earn your living that you may live for our sake you will go abroad to foreign lands that you may bring back knowledge with which you may do service to her he was not saying bring back booty that was the other idea <laughs> you see the amount of wealth that was stolen from india literally on which empires were built on which side of the globe and look how they are crumbling and whereas an impoverished land even a you know that time he was inspired winston churchill but it heart he was uh, very much against you know he had declared we are giving freedom to a country which can't stand on its two legs never can it stand the country which had impoverished that's that's the prediction he gave he said it's it's, it's of no point because they can't stand on their two legs they will die of famine look at shobindo was not infusing words he was infusing a new spirit that's what we need to wake up to so he's saying work that she may prosper suffer that she may rejoice all is contained in that one single advice my last word to you is that if you have sympathy for me i hope to see it not merely as a personal feeling but a sympathy with what i am working for i want to see this sympathy translated into work so that when in future i shall look upon your career of glorious activity i may have the pride of remembering that i did something to prepare and begin it that's what shubhendu would want us in this sentence sasqui centenary to take a resolve that when he looks upon us he says okay <laughs> it's my specimen not like oh this is my disciple okay come that is the greatness to which he wanted so when he looked at india looked at the world new idea forces the other areas biology uh, you know not only in these areas okay before that sociology he given entirely new sociology we are still to Uh, people are not yet tested i have read books on sociology and anthropology they come go together what was shurbindo's way of sociology is to reduce the machinery of government and systems through a progressive awakening of man how should we look upon the criminal and how should we look upon the saint they completely he gives the idea of a spiritualized society see this effort was made earlier uh, there have been this idea of community living which is going to become the future more and more you will see communes coming up because in communes so that 
there are people with a common aspiration they come together this commune here is the prototype just a nucleus but all over the world we will see communes springing up that's how the new creation will blossom he speaks about it in the life divine but what would be a spiritualized society one experiment which was made was by the sikh gurus the you know the 10 sikh gurus they had eventually created a spiritualized society but then it over a period of time it tended to you know come down because still the supramental basis is missing there have been efforts to make a spiritualized society one of them even rama as early as that we see rama creating a spiritualized society in which ganika jamil gya byad geet gajad khaltari ban gana everybody on the basis of that oneness there have been kings who have tried it the last of which i may say was uh, the sikh gurus uh, where where you had this kind of a spiritualized society but again for a certain group which believed in a certain way of life in its origin it was not like that but that's how it tended to become but now what is going to come is going to be something much much greater you see all these spiritualized societies their effort why they uh, lost because they were still confined in boundaries so the brotherhood of islam became the brotherhood of muslims and uh, where kafirs had to be eliminated so brotherhood is fine the brotherhood of communist believed became meaningless because it believed in the brotherhood of those who believe in a certain ideology i had this experience in russia when you know uh, they asked why are you have you got these two people from the ashram along with you so i said why because you know they are my friends so he couldn't understand because he thought that we are smuggling people <laughs> i said that's okay but why have you got got them i said then i had to say i said because we actually believe in brotherhood so something went straight like an arrow i said we believe in brotherhood we, we i mean they have they don't have an earning so what it's okay i mean they they cannot be an you you are thinking there is an ulterior motive i didn't say all these words otherwise i would be behind <laughs> kgv i said we because we really believe in brotherhood so after a while something happened at that point of time and you know then he became quiet so what is a spiritualized society look at these words they are for the future but these were ideas released in the present of mankind this is not the uh, avataric work that comes later but it is the work of the vibhuti which brings intellectual social political changes the avataric work is a spiritual revolution here we see a social political intellectual revolution that shurbindo is laying and by his own example a spiritualized society would treat in its sociology the individual from the saint to the criminal not as units of a social problem to be passed through some skillfully devised machinery and either flattened into the social mold or crushed out of it the saint if he has to live within society flattened into the social mold or if he is a criminal crushed out of it this is that's not the way but as souls suffering and entangled in a net and to be rescued souls growing and to be encouraged to grow souls grown and from whom help and power can be drawn by the lesser spirits who are not yet adult 
So this is how he drew the entire from the criminal to the saint. So we have an in his own life he was those things that as I said not only Baroda days in 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 the prison when he see looks upon the prisoners he says in those misused bodies and misguided minds he could see Vasudev and that story where somebody was stealing <laughs> everyday money from uh, his drawer and these three young boys oh we caught him Shubhendu comes comes out and looks at them and says let the let the boy go and we see that something very new something very beautiful so the aim of its economics would be not to create a huge engine of production whether of the competitive or the cooperative kind but to give to men not only to some but to all men each in his highest possible measure the joy of work according to their own nature and free leisure to grow inwardly as well as simply rich and beautiful life for all this is the ashram see you can see that this is the principle on which it is given there is enough leisure and there is enough work based on the joy of work it's not like you must do this work but you take up and if it gives you joy in the spirit of service do it nobody is there to do your dehadi that you know you have put a thumb imprint and after 6 hours you put another based on that you will get your your things it's not based on that at all the aim of its politics it would not regard in its politics it would not regard the nations within the scope of their own internal life as on as enormous state machines regulated and armored with man living for the sake of the machine and worshiping it as his god and his larger self content at first called to kill others upon its altar and to bleed there himself so that the machine may remain intact neither would it be content to maintain these nations or states in their mutual relations as noxious engines meant to discharge poisonous gas upon each other in peace and to rush in times of clash upon each other's armed hosts and unarmed millions so uh, it's a completely new socio political thought and he was releasing these idea forces of a new socio political thought because he was seeing the new future so all these new idea forces were meant to bring a new future and they are not only in this people talk about him as philosopher very few people know shubindo as a scientist there is only one issue which once long back i had edited for all india magazine shubindo on science but shubindo is scientist for him spiritual experiences were also to pass through the crucible of science in what way he followed those three standard Uh, procedures observation and you should replicate then you have when you when you make an observation then you must be able to replicate it you form an hypothesis then you have an inference and then it should be able to be replicated because shubhendu was trying a completely new yoga so he started noting everything in his diary as a scientist but not only that he gave an entirely new science which is not yet recognized one day it will be and that is the science of consciousness read about 150 pages that's all not much 150 pages where he gives a new science of consciousness now we are beginning to look at it that 
is consciousness the result of brain one of the most foolish propositions that means consciousness did not exist in creatures which don't have a brain so the only creature from where brain starts is cobra small little brain the reptile brain other reptiles don't even have that okay other other snakes that's why I don't try to tame ha huh? only on durga on shiva puja on nag panchmi that too only cobra don't give milk to kret ha huh? cobra may little bit go back and tell shiva that look you know here is a man but kret is not going to care about your milk <laughs> so <laughs> cold blooded and brainless very dangerous combination so to believe that consciousness starts with brain is one of the most foolish thoughts but yet people believe it not only that i have met people modern people engaged in high scientific thought who say with human brain i say that becomes more absurd <laughs> so according to you no creature in this world is conscious that's the next logical step is therefore they all can be killed finished eaten they are not conscious so even the distinction between animate and inanimate is gone we are the only conscious creatures crawling upon this globe so <laughs> consciousness is primary and phenomena is secondary this is there in vedanta but how shobindo brings it out look at it and he says body brain nervous system are instruments of consciousness they are not its causes he starts with a big statement it changes everything meaning thereby doesn't matter you know how they are it opens a new door of manipulation if consciousness is limited by this well by the instrument that is the first observable fact but the reverse is a greater truth meaning thereby if you want to change even the brain if you want to change your body illness and its capacities catch the thread of consciousness that is the principle behind doing gayatri mantra and developing your intelligence you can develop it it's not the other way around so people often say this oh to reach your bindu we require to be you know we have to be very intelligent so i tell them well if you reach your bindu you will become very intelligent he has developed the penchant of making the stupidest person intelligent <laughs> so this is the other way around consciousness which is there will create the brain cells so he says body brain nervous system are instruments consciousness is its own cause a producer of objects and images and not their product we are blinded to this truth because when we think of consciousness it is of the individual we think we look at the world in the way we speak of it and the way we speak of it in the terms of individual consciousness but it is of the universal consciousness that the world is a creation the individual participates in the body his waking mind receives its impressions from the outside world and reacts upon it so it goes on it's 150 pages i am leaving aside all that he has spoken of consciousness in the life divine in the synthesis of yoga in every other work so he brings this basis through which science art yoga action derives its value that's why shubindra says from the standpoint of yoga this little change has far reaching implication it is not what you do but why you do it from that state of consciousness that is value is derived see completely changes a new science that he has given and a new art it's the state of consciousness a new basis of relationship when mother was asked about relationships she says you know it is very simple 
If you are an animal, your your relation, your love will be of an animal kind. If you are a human being, your love will be of a human kind. If you are a god, your love will be like a god. As simple as that. Upgrade your consciousness, the rest will follow. Change your consciousness and you don't have to worry about other things. And all yoga is essentially a change of consciousness. And then many, many areas, but we are just touching upon some of them. Um, Another very powerful area and perhaps with that we could stop is speech. There are many things on which Rabindra has worked. But see, we have missed out on speech as the means through which we are having an interchange with the world, not only of human beings, but with the entire world of living beings and even inanimate matter. Pick up a stone, pick up water and say, you are a useless fellow. And the water responds. See, this was our, we knew it, but we, we forgot it. How? For us, Charanamrit is not healthy or unhealthy. We don't send it to the laboratory to analyze, to say how many bacteria and trillions of viruses are in it. We take it that it has passed through the feet of God and therefore it is sacred. It is charged with the touch of God. That's the idea of Prasad. We don't say, Achha, kaha bana hai, kaise bana hai? So this whole concept that it is consciousness which is primary and material objects can be charged with consciousness. It's a whole new science and it's a vast subject. So I'm just holding myself back from talking about it. It's a vast subject. Consciousness charging physical objects. Consciousness dealing with, uh, you know, plant life. The mother would talk to the plants and she would ask them to give a greater yield. Consciousness dealing with animals, bullocks. Shobindo says, bullock is more receptive than you to the bullock cart fellow in the ashram. He says, you are cruel. You are pulling the bullock by the nose, tying a string. Don't you realize how cruel it is? You should never do that. So the person says, but the bull doesn't, the bullock doesn't listen. He says, no, your method is wrong. And Shobindo stood and watched the bullocks. And he says that, well, I saw and I know that the bullock is much more receptive than you. So this is how, you know. So if somebody next time says you are a bullock or a donkey, take it as a compliment. Being a human is not necessarily always a compliment. Like in ashram, if somebody says you are an intellectual, don't ever take it as a compliment. It means, it means you are only an intellectual, sir. You have nothing spiritual in you. Because spiritual is beyond the intellectual. So anyways, this little and then I'll stop future poetry where he released a whole new world of thought. So it's not only about poetry. Our speech, natural speech should become poetic. It should carry an elan of not the vital but of something greater than the mind, something deeper from the depths it should emerge like a mantra so that all we speak, all we think is an outflowing and inpouring from the higher ranges of the spirit. That's when when the gods say Tathastu it happens. When we say Tathastu nobody cares because we have lost this power of speech. So reclaiming speech and how he reveals with this will stop. The old habits of speech cannot contain the new spirit and must either enlarge and deepen themselves and undergo a transformation or else be broken up and make way for another figure. The most boring subject in my school days was grammar. Until date I have this problem. 
the other day finite and infinite. So why it is not infinite, why it is infinite? And somebody corrected. I said, yes, I never took interest. But now I understand why I never took interest. Because these rules are going to change and evolve. The conservatism, the mother spoke of a new language which is going to come up. The conservatism of the human mind. You see, people are speaking in third, uh, third person. Somebody wrote a letter to the mother in third person and she was very happy. She write this about herself. This little one would like to meet you at this. This. She was very happy. She said, this is a new way and I am very... The conservatism of the human mind stands in the way of the transforming force and insists for a time on the authority of traditional or already current standards of literary and poetic perfection. But the eternally self-renewing spirit must have eventually its way or else there will come a petrification. This is what we see. People are saying speech has declined. Yes, because we never uplifted it. So because we never cared for speech to progress, we see that an average person started using abusive words and filthy language and this is the result. So this is an area of work. But the it, uh, a decay by too much stability, which is a much worse danger than the decadence predicted by the purist when faced by what seems to him a morbid strangeness and distortion of the poetic modes of speech and a perilous departure from safe and enduring rules of perfection. You see what is happening today? On one side there was a decay, on other side new ways of expression. Cool. Nice. <laughs> Listen and you feel good. In FMC I had learnt a new word, freak out. Took me time to understand that freak out stands for number of things. From the man who goes to the, you know, uh, joint, ganja joint to somebody who just want to, today just relax and do things differently. Let's freak out. Now, this is, you know, strange word. Purists will never like it. <laughs> but it is breaking the old habit of speech. And something new will come. Better than using abusive languages, which is what, you know, decadence took place. A change of this kind and very considerable in its magnitude and force of renovation has been for some time at work in most living literatures. The speech that opens more constantly the doors of the intuitive self in the caverns of light of a nature has not done all that is to be done. The speech also has to be found that shall come by the rending or removal of the golden lid. Supramental speech. See, this is before he launched on Savitri. And, but even there, he takes it to the utmost possibilities of our mind. Between our intelligence and the effulgent supra-intelligence and effect a direct and sovereign descent and pouring of some absolute sight and word of the spirit into the moulds of human language. That was another uh, idea force. Again, every idea force, Shabindo showed it by example. He never left it for somebody else. In the political field, in the science of consciousness, how we would deal purely by consciousness, evolution, a spiritual age, which living example is the ashram and Auroville, which is yet to be. And then, of course, which terms of speech, the greatest gift he gave to mankind, one of the greatest, or we can say the greatest, is of course the mantra of transformation, Savitri. So more we will say tomorrow and... As I had predicted, I will take upon somebody else's time, so sorry for that. Thank you.